You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's exciting to behold what God hath wrought. We rejoice in Him and in His goodness and His blessings. This is just absolutely unreal to be with you guys here. I'm just so blessed, can't tell you. Just overwhelmed with what God has done, what He is doing. And with the thought of what he is wanting to do, if we'll just stay out of the way and let him work and just not get involved, but just watch him. I feel like I've been a spectator. I love sports. I love to go and watch good football. And I uh, love to see great athletes really get out there on the field and do their thing. And uh, I get excited. I jump, I shout, I, you know, root my team on. And uh, it's just, uh, it's something that I just thoroughly enjoy. Especially if we're winning. (laughs) But, you know, it's great to be on the winning team. It's great to just, uh, I, I feel that way with the Lord. I'm just a spectator. I just watch what he's doing. And I'm just cheering him on and saying, yay, go for it, Jesus, go for it. And what a blessing and what a thrill it is to be able to see what God is doing. To be with you guys today, this is just unreal. I can remember the first time we came back where the pastor's conference is back in this area. And uh, I can remember the first time we were here at uh, uh, the Cove and I'll tell you, it was not like this. We were meeting in those little rooms over there, and there was plenty of room for everybody, and uh, just to watch and just to see, and to be here with you again this year and to just see what God has done and what God is doing is just such a thorough, total blessing. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for what you've done. We look at your work and stand in awe and just rejoice, Lord, in that wonderful work that you've wrought by your Holy Spirit here on the East Coast. Lord, I can remember when people used to say, well, it can happen in California. Anything happens in California, but it just can't happen back East. People are different back here. But Lord, we thank you that you are the same. Yesterday today and forever. And Lord, we thank you for that fact that your spirit can work in any kind of environment. And Lord, we thank you that you can work in the environment that prevails no matter where we are, if our hearts are just in tune with yours. So Lord, today, let this just be a tune-up. Tune up our hearts, Lord, with your heart, 
that we might be in one, in sync with one another as we, Lord, have this privilege of serving you and opening our hearts to that work that you are wanting to do, desiring to do, and will do if we will just but yield unto you. So, Lord, teach us and help us that we might become everything you would have us to be, that you might be able to do everything you are desiring to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to talk to you for just a little bit about a successful church. And just, you know, when you think of a successful church, what do you think of? What are the characteristics of a successful church? Quite often, our first thought is numbers. It's a church that is growing. It's a church that is crowded out. It is a church where people are clamoring to get there for services. Years ago, when I was uh, serving a denomination, I didn't say serving the Lord, I was serving a denomination. (laughs) We had our annual conventions. And when we would arrive at the convention, one of the first questions that we would ask each other, how many are you running in Sunday school now? Because we base success upon numbers. And the largest number of people in Sunday school indicated the most successful pastor. On the monthly reports, uh, the first thing that had to be filled out was the statistical boxes. Uh, how The average attendance on Sunday morning, the average attendance on Sunday evening, the average Sunday school attendance, and uh, then the average weeknight attendance, and then the number of people that made a confession of faith in Jesus, and then the number of people that were baptized in water. And we were always measured, as far as success, by the numbers that went in these boxes. And, of course, when they were considering for promotions of the pastors, they would always look at these statistical boxes and thus uh, whether or not you were offered a larger church uh, depended on whether or not you were successful. That is, uh, the numbers were high in these boxes. Talk about an incentive to cheat. (laughs) They offered plenty. (laughs) And there were those that took advantage of it. G. Campbell Morgan once said, May God deliver us from the tyranny of numbers. You know, where numbers are no longer the big issue. They're not the criteria of success. So often, one of the first questions we hear, how many additions have you had in your church this year? But you know, sometimes subtractions can be a greater blessing than the additions. (laughs) We've had some blessed subtractions. (laughs) 
You know, if, if you looked at the increase of numbers, you'd have to say that Gideon was a total failure. He started out with 32,000, and he ended up with 300. Gideon, how's it going? Oh, well, we've got, got 300 left, you know. <laughs> We'd be ashamed of those kind of statistics. But it is interesting to note that it was God who was behind the subtractions. It was God who narrowed it down from the larger number to the lesser number. That was all God's working. And it's important to notice that. That God oftentimes does work with subtraction. He doesn't always use addition. I do find, though, that he quite often uses multiplication. But I often find that it is necessary for him to subtract before he multiplies. There are those who are not really compatible with what God is wanting to do. And they are a hindrance. And uh, many times God needs to remove them in order that he might add those he is wanting to add to the church, those that should be saved. And so uh, through the years, I've always, you know, looked at subtractions as something that was horrible. And oh my, you know, they've left the church. My, this is terrible. What are we going to do? But I found through the years, through experience, that God oftentimes does subtract before he multiplies. With Gideon, it is often the case, God wants the glory for what he does. And with Gideon, had he given the glory to the greater number, the Lord said, I know the hearts of these people. If I would deliver the Midianites into their hands, they would go around boasting what they did. But God desires that no flesh should glory in his sight. He wants to work, but he wants the glory for the work that he does. He doesn't want to do a work and then have us go around and taking our bows and uh, getting the plaudits and so forth. Uh, for the work that he has done, but he wants the glory for the work that he is doing. So, uh, numbers are not always a sign of success. Another criteria that is often considered uh, as uh, a sign of success are the kind of facilities that we've been able to build. Uh, I was asked to speak years ago at a very uh, prominent church in Northern California. Uh, it was during the time of the Jesus movement, and they invited me to come up and to speak in this church. And uh, I went, and I've never seen facilities that were quite like these. They were the most fabulous facilities for a church I had ever seen. I mean, they spared no expense as far as putting together 
a beautiful, beautiful facility for worship. Their board meeting, where the board met once a month, uh, I mean, it looked like something out of IBM. In fact, IBM would probably have been a little embarrassed. Uh, I mean, this was just plush, plush, plush. They had a chandelier in the entry hall of the church, and it was a huge entry area into the church. But I would imagine that that chandelier cost well over $100,000. I walked around, mouth open, just amazed at this facility. And I have to admit, I became a little jealous, a little envious. We were in a tent down in (laughs) Southern California. We were building a sanctuary, but even the building that we were putting up looked like Potown next to this facility that they had there in Northern California. And as the pastor took me around and showed me this plush, plush facility, I mean, everything was just automatic. Everything was... I mean, it was just amazing, uh, the the features of this facility. In fact, for several, not, well, too many years, but for a few years, this particular church was practically featured in every major Christian magazine. I mean, uh, it was just the talk of the country as far as, facilities go and it was plush and here I am you know looking at it and thinking about the tent and thinking oh my you know, this is just amazing and my heart beating with envy that church today is the civic center of that city. It went bankrupt. They couldn't pay the bills. And uh, so today, that beautiful, beautiful cafeteria is a bar. And uh, they have, uh, the city has used the beautiful auditorium uh, for civic operas and things of this nature, Uh, but it's no longer a church. And I thought, you know, how foolish to be envious of of a place that is no longer really a facility that is being used by the Lord or for the Lord or for the things of the Lord. And these things that I have been coveting now belong to the enemy, and what a tragedy. So we find that there are many articles being written today in the Christian publications uh, concerning churches uh, that uh, are considered successful churches here in the United States. And as they write these articles, they often 
attribute the success to their marketing skills that they've been able to develop within the church and how that they can create uh, really the sense of need in the lives of people and thus uh, fulfilling those needs they've been able to draw a crowd of people. These articles often like to exploit the uh, high standard of living that the pastors are able to enjoy as they are uh, capable of raising multi-million dollar budgets to uh, keep their programs uh, going year by year. And in the eyes of the world, this is success. But what do you suppose constitutes success in the eyes of God? I'm sure that it is something far different that God looks upon and, and looks upon it as a success something that really is honoring him and bringing glory to him. We know that God does see things differently than we do. And Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, You are they which do justify yourselves before men, but God knows the hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is in an abomination in the sight of God. Here I was looking at this fabulous church with all of its amenities and being envious and jealous and so forth. And uh, I was saying, oh my, look at these facilities. What we could do if we just had facilities like this. And God is looking at it and saying, what an abomination. That which is highly esteemed among men an abomination in the eyes of God. When God sent Samuel to Bethlehem to anoint one of the sons of David to be the king over Israel, as Samuel came to Bethlehem and called the sons of Jesse uh, to the feast of to the Lord, when Eliab, the oldest son, came in, Handsome, big, good-looking. Samuel thought in his heart, surely this is God's choice. I don't have to look any further. This is God's choice. And God spoke to Samuel the prophet and he said, Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance. I look on the heart. Eliab is not my choice. And so he went down the sons of David. And with each one, uh, he thought, you know, this must be the one. Until finally, they had run out of sons except for David, who wasn't even in consideration. But God had chosen David to be the rightful heir to the throne. God's ways are not always our ways, but God's ways are superior to ours. God is looking on the hearts. And guys, today, that's what God is looking for. Men whose hearts are perfect towards God. That's all God wants. He's not looking for the talent, the ability, or 
whatever. He's looking for the heart. A heart that is after God. A heart that is willing to be an instrument and give God the glory for the work that is accomplished and does come from your life and from your ministry. I can assume that God's definition of a successful church is probably far different from our definition. What are the things that God is looking for as far as the right church is concerned? Well, I think of the book of Revelation as Jesus is addressing the churches of Asia. If we would look at the church of Ephesus, we would say, now that's a church. As it describes the church in Ephesus, it describes, I know thy works, thy patience. And, you know, and and the Lord starts telling the positive things of the church of Ephesus And we think, yes, yes, that's what I would like. That's the kind of church I want to pastor. But then the Lord gets down to the bottom line. And he said, but I have this against thee. And that which he had against them actually negated all of the positive things that were there. I have this against thee in that you have left your first love. And so he's calling on them to repent. Now, we would have been commending them. We would have, uh, you know, just sort of commended them for some kind of a uh, ribbon or, uh, you know, a, a degree that would acknowledge, you know, all of these positive things they had. And yet the Lord is talking about repent. Repent or else I'm going to remove the candlestick out of its place. In other words, uh, the, the negative, the lack of love. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that in seeking to develop certain characteristics among the people that we are serving, one of the chief things that we should be interested in is developing a loving fellowship. People that are loving one another and know that God can work and will work if we have that kind of an environment with the people. If they are a loving congregation, they're going to be a blessed congregation. Smyrna. Well, by the worldly standards you'd hardly give it a notice. They're poor. Worldly standards. Just barely getting by. Beaten down. Persecuted. They had no powerful influence in the community. Poor in the eyes of the world, but they were rich. In the eyes of Jesus. I know thy poverty, but thou art rich. James wrote, 
Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen the poor of this world who are rich in faith and the heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those that love him? I think that it's time that we quit looking at our congregation and, uh, and, and thinking, you know, they're not what I would like them to be. They're not as many as I would like to see. And uh, we are always looking at uh, some of the negative aspects rather than seeing that here is a group of people who love God and uh, they'll put up with you as the pastor. And, uh, you know, God has blessed you. Those that are there, those blessed saints that he has brought. And you need to just minister to them. In the early years of my ministry, one of the biggest mistakes that I made was I often was preaching a message to the invisible congregation, to the empty pews. They were the people I was addressing. They were the ones who were not serving the Lord as they should. They were not faithful in attendance. Uh, any little distraction, and they were not there. And, and, and these were the people I was constantly uh, talking about and castigating, you know, whenever there would be a half-empty auditorium, I would be addressing the half-empty part. Rather than ministering to those that were there, encouraging them, loving them, and letting them know what a blessing it was that they were there to share with me uh, the love of the Lord and, and serving him. It's when I started ministering to the flock that was there that God began then to expand the flock that was there. One of the secrets I learned in ministry, minister to those that God has given to you. Do your best. Give them your best. Pour your heart out to them. And if you're faithful, God will bring others to hear his word and his truth and to receive his love. But the important thing is that we are ministering to those that are there, not to the, those that aren't there, the absentees. With the Church of Philadelphia, they weren't a big church, but they had a little strength. And they kept the word. And they were promised special blessings from the Lord. I guess, ultimately, the question is, in which sky do you wish to shine? You know, we used to live in Huntington Beach and pastored there for six years uh, as we were uh, working in this denomination. 
And we loved living in Huntington Beach. We loved the beach life. We loved the surf in Huntington. And uh, it was just ideal for us. But one of the features about Huntington Beach, at that time it was just a little beach city, 6,000 people. Uh, but they always had the 4th of July parade. And that was always the big attraction in Huntington Beach, the 4th of July was the big day. Of course, the summer day and uh, exploiting the uh, beach and so forth, and uh, the July the 4th, always a special day. But they always had great fireworks off of the end of the pier in Huntington Beach, and they, they do to the present day. I mean, the pyrotechnics is just almost second to none. And so we would take the family and we would walk from our house down to the beach. We would have our blankets and we would lay them out on the sand and we would sit there and we would watch the fireworks as they would go off from the end of the pier. And uh, they were amazing. They were beautiful. As they would shoot off these fireworks, we would be sitting there and with the crowd, we would do the oohs and the ahs and, and all as we watched these brilliant displays of uh, pyrotechnics. And we would watch them until the final, uh, you know, and at the end, they always uh, just set off everything that's left over. I mean, they just, and it's just one after another. The whole sky is just ablaze and uh, just lit up with uh, these beautiful, beautiful uh, skyrockets and all. And uh, after it was all over, we would just sit there with the family for a while until your eyes sort of got adjusted to the darkness again. And looking up, could not see the brilliant displays of fireworks. They had long ceased. But the stars shining up there. Now, for a long time, we couldn't see the stars because of the flashes of the uh, fireworks and so forth. Uh, but uh, the, the stars were sort of just lost from view because they were overpowered by the nearer brilliance of the uh, pyrotechnics. But I think of how important it is that we not shine so bright as people can't see the Son, the Son of God. And to realize that God created the heavens and that they stand and that his creation is still there in all of its glory, in all of its wonder, though for a while we've lost sight of it, yet now we, we see it again. And uh, so... Um, 
we, we watch now the beautiful work of God. The Bible tells us they that are wise will lead many to righteousness and will shine as the stars forever and ever. I guess it all depends on which sky you want to shine in. You know, we see a lot of ministries today uh, that are a big flash. They draw a lot of attention. Uh, They're on TV and uh, they're parading around and uh, they draw a lot of attention to themselves. But you know, I have watched through the years and I've been around long enough that I've been able to see so many come and go. The brilliant stars of the past, the brilliant flashes uh, in the temporal sky, and, and their ministries, oh my, everyone was talking about them, and it was just amazing and so forth. But how you watch them sort of like the skyrockets fizzle out, Their ashes, memories are almost gone. And yet once they just sort of occupied the sky around us and drew so much attention. But uh, which sky do you want to shine in? You know, if you want to shine in this earthly sky, I guess you can. You can do enough stupid things that... Uh, draw attention to people, you know, and you can, uh, you know, there's a lot of antics that these guys are are doing to just draw attention to themselves and to their ministry. And and you can draw a crowd. I mean, if you want to draw a crowd, just uh, go out on the uh, main street of the city and take your clothes off. You'll draw a crowd. There's nothing to drawing a crowd. I mean, just be bizarre enough and it'll, it'll do it. But is that the kind of a crowd you want? Is that the kind of people you want to truly minister to? And can you truly minister to them? Jesus seemed to show his disdain for numbers. When he said, if two or three are gathered together in my name, I will be there in the midst to bless. Years ago, I was called back uh, here to the East Coast. Um, There was this fellow who had planned uh, this big uh, meeting. Uh, He was sort of a promoter, and he had planned this meeting up in Rochester, New York. And uh, he invited me to come back and speak. He had invited uh, some uh, famous gospel singer to come and to sing. And all of these arrangements were made. And so I arrived back here and uh, uh, to speak at this uh, big rally that he had uh, promoted and had put together. And uh, He was in this big auditorium there 
in Rochester. And when we arrived, we found things sort of in a disaster. Uh, he hadn't sold as many tickets as he had anticipated. Uh, the crowd was not nearly what he was wanting the crowd to be. Uh, the uh, manager of the uh, facility would not even allow the facility to open until he had paid for it, which he didn't have the money. Uh, it didn't come in to pay for it, and he found himself in a real dilemma. Uh, the famous singer that he had hired to come and to hopefully draw the crowd uh, wouldn't even leave the hotel room because of the uh, lack of attendance there. He wouldn't even come uh, to the meeting. So um, I was stuck with the bill uh, to uh, pay for the facility in order that they might open it up for the evening, and we were there for that evening. But, uh, you know, our, our plans some, can sometimes uh, go awry, and they're not what they ex we expected them to be or wanted them to be. And um, so um, it was, as far as an evening was concerned, it was a rather disaster. And yet, you know, we survived. We came out of it. And uh, actually, uh, we helped this young kid to get out to California. Brilliant young kid, a great sound engineer. And put him to work at the church uh, as our sound engineer for several years. But um, it was just one of those crazy things uh, that um, <laughs> things don't always work out as anticipated. But um, I think that success in the eyes of the Lord are a church where the people are being fed the word of God. They're coming to know God in a personal, intimate way, being born again and talk, taught how it is to walk in the spirit with Jesus as the Lord of their lives. And if you're doing that, be not weary in well-doing because in due season you're going to reap if you faint not just continue to love the people that God has given to you feed the flock of God which is among you uh, it is um, being a good shepherd overseeing the flock and the sheep. Notice Jesus speaks about feed my sheep, tend to my sheep, feed my lambs, as he exhorts John there in the final chapter of the book of John. Notice Jesus said, my sheep, 
Isn't it interesting how we often refer to it as our flock, our sheep? You know, they are sheep stealers. They are stealing my sheep. Uh, Well, they're not your sheep. They're people that God has called you to minister to, to love, and to teach them about him. But your responsibility is just to love them and to teach them. And they're his and know that they're his. And he loves his sheep and he cares how they are taken care of and how they're treated and all. So just remember, you're treating his sheep. And if you are guilty of abusing, you're abusing his sheep. And he doesn't take kindly toward that. Peter wrote, The elders which are among you I exhort, for I am also an elder. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Shepherd over the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight of them not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre but of a willing mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage but examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you will receive a crown of glory that fades not away. So, there is the chief shepherd. And you are a hireling, a sub-shepherd, to watch over a portion of his flock, to feed a portion of his flock, to love and to tend a portion of his flock. But always remember they are his flock and one day you're going to answer to him for how you treated and how you ministered and how you tended his flock. When we shall stand before the chief shepherd We will be judged for our faithfulness in taking care of his flock. When the secrets of our hearts will be revealed, I do believe that we will be shocked when we see how he will judge some of the leading lights that we have considered successful churches. I just wonder what his disposition will be for those who have abused the positions And were more interested in fleecing the flock than they were feeding the flock. And uh, those who live high off of the flock of God. And uh, we need to remember to whom much is given, much is required. Just what does it mean to tend his sheep. Well, the Lord told Ezekiel how he didn't want Ezekiel to tend the sheep. He said, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy, say to them, Thus saith the Lord unto the shepherds, Woe 
unto the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat, and you clothe yourself with the wool. You kill them that you are supposed to be feeding, but you do not feed the flock. You have not strengthened the diseased, and neither have you healed those that were sick, and neither have you bound up those that were broken, and neither have you brought again those who were driven away, and neither have you sought those who were lost, but you ruled them with harshness and brutally, and they were scattered because there was no true shepherd, and they became a prey to all of the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey, and my flock did, and my shepherds did not my shepherds uh, search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Therefore, O ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my flock at their hand and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouth that they may not be meat for them. Those are pretty serious words from the Lord, and I would encourage that you read Ezekiel chapter 34 and let the Spirit of God just speak to your heart and challenge you as far as, uh, you know, the type of shepherd that you are and maybe compare it with the kind of shepherd God would have you to be. Really, I care not as far as the world is concerned, whether it considers me a success or a failure. I do care what the chief shepherd thinks of how I cared for his flock. And when I stand before him one day to give an account, I'm wanting to hear his words, well done, good and faithful shepherd. You've been faithful in little things, I'll make, now make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. And may that be the commendation that he'll give to you as shepherds over his flock. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Chuck Smith. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Chuck's teaching ministry by visiting pastorchuck.org.